This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. It's powered by digital media. Today's sponsor is SoFi, a new kind of finance company that offers student loan refinancing at low rates. SoFi members save on average $19,000, so much money. They can even save more through an employer partner program. See how SoFi can help you at SoFi.com. That's S-O-F-I.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com slash legal. Today is also sponsored by Mac Weldon, and you know what Mac Weldon brings you. They bring you awesome hoodies and socks, and I'm wearing the socks right now. Sean Fennessy, can you see my socks? Gorgeous. They're gorgeous. They feel great. They smell great because they're made of naturally antimicrobial fiber. If for some reason you don't like these socks, you can hang on to them for free. No questions asked. You get a 20% discount if you go to Mac Weldon and type in the offer code RECODE. Go to MacWeldon.com. Get 20% off your order. That helps me with the offer code RECODE. MacWeldon.com. Sean Fantasy, I was bragging about my pre-roll skills. I kind of screwed up. Sorry. It was okay. You did okay. You know I'm nervous? Because I'm me. here at the Ringer offices. That's right. Welcome. I'm at Podcast Nirvana, the Bill Simmons Podcast Empire. Is that how you describe it? Yeah. Do you think other people feel that way? Yeah. Okay. I was just talking to someone from a big fancy podcast company. And we're, we're in awe of the Bill Simmons Podcast wow. Empire. That's, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's flattering for me. I don't appear on very many podcasts, but it's nice. Thanks for having me. Thanks yeah. for letting me sit in your office. Sean well, Fennessy, you just launched the ringer.com officially. Right. So this is two days after you launched. By the time people hear it, it'll be a few more days. How'd it go? It was great. Is it scary to say it was great? I mean, it, it went very well. Um, I think that there are a lot of things that can go wrong at a launch and very few of them went wrong for us, which is nice. You know, I think we sort of feel modest about it, but anytime the site doesn't crash is a victory at a digital launch and we didn't crash. feel good about the stories that we put out in the world. We really took our time with the launch. I mean, it was kind of an eight month runway from when we decided to do this as a company to putting it out in the world and give us an opportunity to build in a lot of buffers there. I think you've given that speech before. Have I? Yeah, it sounded practiced. Let's back up. Let's explain to the handful of people who don't know what The Ringer is. This is Bill Simmons and company's new website, sort of son of Grantland is the way I describe it in shorthand. Yeah, I mean, I hope not son. Maybe like... Grantland Distant sequel? cousin that shares genes. I'm reluctant to say sequel, you know, because I think it does a disservice to a lot of the people that work here now. And I'm, I want to be sensitive to the new employees. You know, it's true that the first four employees that joined up with Bill were Grantlanders and were a big part of Grantland. But, you know, we A, we were not the only people that made Grantland. There were a ton of people who are now working here who are out doing great stuff in the world. Two, you know, there's people from all over, a lot of different publications, Wired, The Wall Street Journal, people who have written for The New York Times, people writing on their own blog spot who are a part of this, who never, maybe they never even read Grantland. It's hard to say. So there's a bunch of interesting things here. We can talk about a bunch of them. So one is how you're creating this. Mm -hmm. um, we'll start there, first of all. So this is, this is on Medium. This I think the first time Medium has gone ahead and sort of been the all-in home for a new publication. They brought in a few pre-existing publications before... We officially launched right, the all sites. Have yeah, moved the all over sites there. moved over. The billfold was sort of a test tube for them. Um, they also have a lot of sort of internal publications that I think people usually just think of as medium publications. But there are people who have independent staffs who are making stuff. But, you know, in I would say November, December, we were trying to figure out how specifically to build the site and what it means to build a site in 2016, which is a it's a weird pursuit. Right. You know, people kind of get their reading material, their podcasts, everything all over the place. 
it's a little strange to try to build what you'd classically define as a homepage site where people need to go to a destination. So we thought a lot about that. We so t- we should we should back up. So Bill leaves Grantland yep. a year ago, basically. May 8th, 2015. So a year ago, then the site sort of officially, people start streaming out over the summer. Officially, they pulled the plug on it last fall. Yep. It was really more the fall when people started leaving. I mean, I, I left in October with a handful of people, and that really kind of set off a chain reaction. You know, the editorial director left the same week that we did. A few other staffers left, Rembert Brown, Wesley Morris, right in that right. time frame. So you guys leave, and was the plan, let's go build another site from the get-go? More or less. I mean, we knew we wanted to do something that could host writing and could also host the rest of the universe. I mean, we knew Bill was going to have an HBO show. So Bill said, right. So Bill announces I'm doing an HBO show. I'm going to do podcasts. I'm going to have some kind of digital presence, but it wasn't clear to me at the beginning, at least that you guys were going to build a new site. Yeah. We tried to be cagey about that purposefully because I think we didn't know what shape it was going to take. I think in part because of what I was saying earlier, which is what does it mean to make a site? And because of that, we didn't want to overcommit. We didn't want to say, we're going to do the Grandland sequel, everybody, don't worry. You know, that wasn't the intention. That wasn't how we pursued the idea. Uh, I think what changed is really the medium thing made it make a lot of sense for us. We explored building a WordPress site and bringing in a design firm and spending yeah, a lot of money on Yeah, you guys were sort of casting that. around looking for people to help you build a site because yes. I talked to one of those designers at once. We got, somebody got a letter from you guys. And I mean, we had great meetings and those people were, were actually tremendous, but I think one of the things that made us nervous about that was we didn't really know where things were going in the future. We didn't want to be overconfident. And we also... I mean, budgetarily, it was a smart move for us. You know, it was a smart move to not spend X amount of dollars and make our runway even longer. But even before you figured out the how you were going to do it, why did you decide we want to publish stuff on the Internet as opposed to just doing TV, video, podcasts? Like, why, why go ahead and make printed content? I think first and foremost, because we love it. Bill was a writer before he was anything else. I was a writer. Chris Ryan was a writer. You know, a lot of us care about this. It's meaningful to us. I, I think we're also still feel like there's a real market for it. I don't think we could have predicted how big the podcast network was going to be. In October, Bill had just launched his show, basically, right. his, his podcast. And that was it. There was no other podcast. You know, there was no... Shortly thereafter, Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald started their new show, which they had been doing at, uh, at Grantland. But I think it would have been a lot harder to say, we're just doing a podcast and video business because we didn't know if there was a market for that for us either. And we knew we could write well and edit well and we knew that there was at least enough of an audience that people would want to get back in that universe so you left grantland went to go work with bill at the bill simmons media group but you really didn't know we were going to build this thing of this size on medium you sort of have been sounds like you've been sort of improvising it over several months yeah i think we knew we wanted a site but we didn't know how big that site would be we didn't know how we would build it. We didn't know when it would launch. And we didn't even specifically know all the things we wanted to cover on it. You know, sports and pop culture was obviously the core of Grantland. We love those things. It's why we're doing them. But we part of the reason that we started to have the conversation is because we wanted to get a little wider. We wanted to do a little bit more. And I think that those desires are kind of what pushed us towards building a bigger staff maybe than we expected, building a bigger launch than we expected. So... There was no true blueprint, I would say, until January and February when the conversations with Medium started getting sort of locked in and said, all right, we're going to do this. Yeah. Now, from the outside, it seems like publishing on Medium is about as easy as it could get, right? You, you type something up, it goes up there. I mean, the whole idea is ease of use. So yeah. so when you say we're publishing a magazine or whatever, do we call it a I magazine? I didn't say that. but Do we you, call it a magazine? Um, 
I'm a little reluctant because yeah. I don't want to create any expectation around what a magazine even means. You All know, right. publishing a thing, publishing a thing, a yeah. medium, yeah. Um, a digital experience. Is that awful? No, I mean, but is this just like publishing anywhere else? You you have a CMS, WordPress, you slap it up there, it goes up there. Is there anything else? Is there any, is is as simple as it sounds? Yes and no. I mean, I think it's like a magazine insofar as we're trying to apply real editorial rigor to all the pieces. You know, it's not a standalone thing where there's a person writing alone and then they just drop it in the CMS and yep. click publish. You know, we are one of the things that we needed to, to work through with Medium was setting up a kind of gating system so that there could be a true editorial control. And so, you know, Medium primarily before that was known as a place where people wrote specifically for themselves about their experience. I want to lecture people about how the world should be, or I want to embarrass myself publicly, or I've quit my job. I need to announce it. A any of those things. Yeah. I mean, uh, and a lot of great things too. I don't want to undermine what they were doing, but it wasn't quite the experience of, I have a feature idea. I'm going to go report it for three weeks. I'm going to take two, three, four, six drafts with my editor. Then the editor is going to have total control of dropping it in the CMS, arting it, working with an art director, creating a style guide, all the things that go into making a publication. So they had to tweak Medium to accommodate that they did. stuff. They did. And frankly, did all of the things that we asked for. And we were a little nervous because they hadn't done this before, even though they had said it was a part of their roadmap. Did they reach out to you? Did you go to them? I believe they reached out to Bill initially. I, I could be wrong about that, but I'm, I, I think essentially they had some mutual friends, some of the people that worked there, Edward Lichty, who works in Medium, obviously have Williams. We, there, a meeting was brokered and we sat down and we talked and it seemed like we had a lot in common. There was a lot that we could do for each other that was meaningful and it didn't take long to decide to do it. And then are they also the business side of, of this publication? Are they selling ads for you guys? No. I mean, they sort of chip in on certain things. It, it sort of depends on what the agreement is. But we, I mean, we're, we're selling our own sponsorships as well. And all the advertising is sort of done in-house. And then, and then are they paying you guys? Are you paying them? How's that, what's that business relationship? I, I'm not really at liberty to clarify that part of the agreement. Here's another one. You have 50 people working for you? We will. Um, will. At launch, we had 43. 43. Are th these are staff, full-time employees? Full-time staff, yeah. They work Writers, for the Bill editors. Simmons Media Group. Yeah. Uh, folks like Tate sitting beside us. Um, people who work in sort of all walks. I think people hear 50 names and they think, oh my gosh, you guys have 50 writers. No, yeah, but you're, 50 you're people, is, that's a lot of people. But 50 people is a lot of people. Yeah, sure. But I think one of the things that's important to distinguish here is that this isn't just a website and it isn't just a podcast network and it isn't just... Uh, a show on HBO Go and it isn't just Bill's show it's a multifarious product that we're trying to make and to do that you do need to have a lot of people so that 43 people includes the HBO staff that's not it doesn't include the, it right. doesn't include Bill's show in particular but right. the after the throne show a lot of those people are working on that that also work here so there there are a lot of sort of moving parts happening here so I think people hear 43 or they hear 50 and they think that's just an amazing writing staff, and we do have an amazing and a great size writing staff. Stipulate that you do not have 50 writers working. We do not this, have 50 But you have 43 writers. people up to 50, yep. a lot of people. How are you paying their salaries? Uh, we're fortunate to have an initial investment from HBO. We have a profitable podcast business, and we have sponsorship at launch from so Miller Lite. it's just the HBO sponsorship, just the initial HBO money plus the revenue from the podcast that's paying the bills. Yeah, plus a lot of sponsorship deals that are sort of in the works. And, you know, still unpacking the business in some ways. I think our COO and our president could clarify some of that better than I can, frankly, because it's not a primary part of my but job. your bills are paid for. You are paid and, for. Because that's what you, you, as you know, right, this is one of the big mysteries of, of what you guys yeah. are doing is who's investing, who's backing you guys. And it, 
from what we can we just talked about, right? It's as simple as HBO plus podcast money. Yes, no the, one else has put else. No plus, one else has put money in plus yet. site sponsorship, which is separate from the podcast sponsorship. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been fortunate to have a presenting sponsor for a long time on the podcast. We have one for the site in week one. Why do you think that's of so much interest to people? I'm curious. Because bills of interest to people. Yeah. Um, I think it's that simple. I think in media world, right? I mean, anytime anyone of prominence is launching a site, people want to figure out who's backing it. There's versions of that conversation all the time. Yeah. Are they often so public, though? No, but Bill's a public guy, right? Sure. And that's mostly to your benefit. Yeah. I think, you know, like there was a smaller version of that when Recode was launching a couple of years ago, who's sponsoring us, and there was a minor discussion. How did you guys it. answer that question? It was fun to watch. It's entertaining to be written about up to a certain point. Like, <laughs> oh, that, that information is nearly correct. That feels familiar. Or they got it half right. Yeah. And you're like, well, well eventually we'll explain it. Yep. So what what is it like to sort of be under that level of scrutiny for the last, what, eight months, I guess? A lot of discussion. Yeah, it's complicated. Um, In a way that wasn't that wasn't happening at Grantland, I think, until until the end of Grantland, really. I think that Grantland at the launch, which I was not a part of, definitely went through some hellfire in terms of people predicting its imminent demise, yeah. people taking it to task for its failures to achieve certain things, which I always thought was extremely overblown. I was genuinely a fan of the site from launch. Um, and then I think we had steadily a good couple of years, a, a few years there where we sort of built people's trust. We developed a few writers who really emerged publicly. I think we published some really good pieces. You know, we were imperfect. Some things went wrong for sure. But I think we were fortunate to mostly be well regarded for a few years there. And then, I don't know, I you know, from the moment that Bill was suspended in 2014 for the next year was was definitely a complicated time. It's a, a little pretty taxing on a staff when something like that happens to your boss. I imagine so, right? So yeah. you guys are reading about Bill and figuring out what Bill's future is and Bill's yeah. future is tied to your future. And and we were talking to Bill. I mean, Bill, right. he worked there. You know, he was, he was our boss. He would come in and hold a meeting and we would talk openly about things that were happening. And w- was there a point when it was sort of clear to you that Bill wasn't going to come back? No. to ESPN not specifically no I mean that that was I think that that was their decision to make that public in the way that they did right I don't think we were 100% certain that Bill was coming back to ESPN or resigning and he never promised us that right I, mean, I interviewed him at South by Southwest in 2015 and mm-hmm. that was a didn't want to discuss it but he did discuss it it was very clear that sort of he was up in the air yep um, but it kind of seemed like he was sour enough with Disney and ESPN that probably wasn't going to come back. But that wasn't clear to you guys. It's, I mean, it's hard to say. I, I think every day things change. You know, some days you have a great day, some days you don't have a great day. I think things got fairly contentious. I think he also, a huge part of it, at least from what he's told me, is that he is extremely ambitious to this moment. And there were a lot of things that he wanted to do and that he wanted to let us do that he just felt like could not happen inside the structure that we had. And so... I think in a lot of ways he sees the way that things shook out as a real blessing because he got to land with an amazing network. He got to have his own company. He got to do all the things that we've been doing in the last six months. So he leaves, number of months go by, you leave. What was the pitch from him to you to leave Grantland and come embark on this new thing? It was, let's make something. I mean, it was, let's work together again. It's, you know what it's like to work with me. You know my sensibility. I know yours. I trust you. You trust me. It was not hyper-specific about what the nature of a site would have been or a podcast network or anything like that, but it was, let's do something again together. And it wasn't just me. It was me and three other people that are very important to me, that I worked with 
better than anyone I've ever worked with. You know, I had a real natural chemistry. I really trusted them and their instincts. I think it would have been difficult if any of those other three people had decided not to do it. We might have been in a little bit of a bind. So the prospect of working with those people, working with Bill, who was, you know, certainly the most compelling and smart and aggressive and accomplished boss I'd ever had was kind of a no-brainer. And the narrative from ESPN was, well, when Bill hired you guys, that eventually shut down Grantland because you guys were sort of, you guys were the thing that made Grantland work. When you left, there was no reason to keep Grantland going or yeah. it would have been too hard to do it. I mean, I, it's hard for me to say. That that feels a little dishonest because a lot of people worked at Grantland yeah. and a lot of people made it great every day. So I think it's a little unfair to characterize Did it Did you have way. trepidation about the fact that leaving that site would make it difficult for them to keep going? I did, but I did not think it would happen quite so quickly. I, I hoped it wouldn't happen at all. I just think it's it's very difficult to know what the choices were were going to be there from ESPN because they had. It's extremely difficult to build a meaningful brand, to build something that people actually care about. And we're embarking on that right now. And I can feel my own personal stress and strain of trying yeah. to figure out like how to make people care about this. But the problem is. They had something that lost a part of what they really needed, and so it made it much more complicated for them. I don't know. I, I was surprised how quickly that happened. Here, why don't we stop for a second and we'll do some advertising. Today's show is brought to you by SoFi. SoFi is a new kind of finance company. They're helping people get out of student debt faster while saving them a lot of money. Refinancing student loans with SoFi saves members an average of $19,000. SoFi even partners with companies to help free their employees of debt. That sounds cool. See how SoFi can help you at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com slash legal. Back. We're just going over Grantland's bones. How sick of you of, of, of discussing the death of Grantland? I'm super excited about the ringer. That's how I feel. Yeah. yeah. So we'll finish that part real quick. So you wrote this awesome eulogy for Grantland. And then there was this outpouring of love and affection for Grantland. Did that take you aback? Were you surprised about the passion um, that people had for that site? That's a hard thing to answer. I was really inside of it. I mean, Grantland was uh, the most intense job I'd ever had and the most committed I was to something professionally. So it's, I don't know if I was taken aback necessarily. Honestly, I just, I basically had a whiskey and, and wrote that and <laughs> went to sleep. And I, it was really it's nice to be pretty cogent for the whiskey. You know, it holds up very nicely. So, I just read it again. This, I just read it again today. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I, you know, I, I didn't really give it a lot of thought, to be honest with you. The the now former CEO of Chartbeat, uh, Tony Hale, told me that you mm -hmm. guys had the most engagement of any site he'd seen on the internet. Full stop. That's nice. I mean, I was always pretty frustrated when people wrote about the site's traffic. I, very similarly to trying to understand why people are writing about the funding of this site yeah. because they seem like odd things to focus on. The narrative that we tried to push, which I think was an honest narrative, was the time spent on Grantland was profound for people who cared about it. I mean, people were spending 20, 30, 40 minutes on site day to day. That's just, you know, you work in this industry, like that's just a lot. Yeah. And it meant that people were committed to it. And so given that, um, you know, it's nice to hear that uh, Tony had that data. It's also, it's nice to know that people cared about it, but also... It just means that we got to go forward and do something else. So what you said you wanted to broaden out the ringer from Grantland. You've added tech. Are you going to sort of add other categories of coverage? Is that what you mean by broadening it out? Or is there something else? Yeah, I think so. It's it's unclear. I mean, we're in obviously a little bit of a see and feel phase right now. I'd really like to do more food and drink coverage. I've mentioned that before. I think that that's something that fits naturally in the same way that tech fits naturally with us. It's just like it's a part of our life. 
we feel like there's a certain way that we write about sports and pop culture that we really wanted to see tech written about. We really want to see food written about. Um, politics is interesting. You know, like we have a we have a political columnist, John Favreau, who's yep. going to be writing for us through the election, which is very exciting. We're not going to overinvest there, I think, because it seems a little strange to get too deep into that universe five, six months out from a, yep. an election with everybody Everyone's having a big head start. What, what, everyone's very excited to talk about Trump now, and you sort of imagine what will happen in December. Exactly. I mean, staffing up for something like that would be a little bit strange. So, you know, we're excited to have John, and I think we'll do some other pieces, but it won't be a huge area of coverage for us at first. I think we got to figure out in 2017 if we're really serious about doing national affairs what that means and if we want to write more aggressively about race class crime those things we very we danced around at grantland you know remember brown went to ferguson and that was one of the most meaningful pieces i worked on there and i think that that was kind of a signature moment that made us feel like we want to be bigger the world is bigger and we want to be inside it so I think we'll have to take a big look at that when, when the new year starts. So is there sort of an ethos for, for the ringer? I mean, when Grantland was up and running, it sort of we were talking about this off the air, right? It was clear that it was trying to be some sort of mashup of old sports illustrated with Harper's and you know, Bill's signature thing was mashing up pop culture and sports and that yep. seemed pretty clear. Mm-hmm. As you broaden it out, is there sort of some defining idea that stitches all this stuff together or would we just make cool stuff? <sighs> I- we make cool stuff is not a bad tagline. The one we've used offhandedly is sort of your smartest friend in the bar, that there's a casual nature to the way some of the things are written about, but that is extremely informed, thoughtful, curious, um, sometimes a little strange, hopefully not too drunk. And thus far, I think we're sort of off on that foot and doing well. Um, we're, we're actually more professional than I thought we were going to be. Granlin was very rambunctious as a site and w- the personality was pretty intense and one of the things we're going to have to figure out is how to be a professional space that people respect while not sacrificing a little bit of oddity. Well, what's the desire to make it more professional? It's the internet. You can be as casual as you want, right? We can be, but I think at a launch, you want to show people that you're serious. I think because we hired all of these people, because we have these aspirations, you know, because we've promised readers that they're going to get a level of quality, it's very difficult. I think the hardest thing editorially for me to do on a day-to-day basis is combine having fun with being legitimate. And it's very easy to be fun on Twitter and to write on your Tumblr and, you know, to be on Snapchat and just do something goofy. And it's extremely difficult, but... If you're trained, you can accomplish writing a great piece. Is part of this because it's a standalone company, you're not under the ESPN umbrella, and you don't have sort of the formal backing of a real publisher, and so you've got to sort of make your own way? A little bit. A little bit of is, is also just there's a lot of people who consider themselves journalists here, you know, and, and just because you're hilarious on Twitter doesn't mean you're not a journalist and vice versa. So that's definitely a factor. I, I think that we will be able to do both is basically the plan. The plan is to have fun, but also to write a few really meaningful pieces every week. Bill, uh, in one of the podcasts he did recently, saying, well, this is going to be different than Grantland in part because technology is different and we're writing for a mobile audience. There's a big debate uh, in media about whether writing on mobile means everything has to be short and mm-hmm. two seconds. And then some people say, no, no, people will read long stuff. I mean, how are you approaching the phone? We're very mindful of it, but we're going to do both. I think if you look at the first week of the site, you'll see that there are more short pieces on the site than probably there were in any given week at Grantland. But that doesn't mean that we don't want to do 5,000 word features. We're going to, we're going to do some. Do you Um, imagine people will read a 5,000 word feature on their phone? Like, do you care about where, do you think about where it's going to be consumed? I do. You know, if I do, I think other people will. Now, I don't think that that is necessarily going to be core audience work. 
you know, last night we had two writers and two editors on call to cover the NBA finals. And they both responded and put up pieces within 90 minutes after the game was over. They were both solid pieces. They were both under 500 words and they both performed well. That was something we did not do at Grantland very often. Right. That was one of the things that always struck me about Grantland is it seemed to be a deliberate choice to say we are not going to be responsive. Mm -hmm. We're not going to write up yesterday's game usually. I think if, over time you did. It was always frustrating to me as a reader, and I, I think probably as a business it was confusing that you guys weren't publishing on weekends yep. given that you were doing sports. Yep. It seems like you're – That would be different. It would be different this time around. Yes. So why was Grantland not writing fast twitch stuff? I think some of it was about the inception that you talked about, about what it, the site was meant to be, and then the way it eventually became staffed over the years. I think to be responsive to work at night, you need to hire a different kind of staff. It often requires a younger staff, frankly. Um, it requires a lot more scheduling. We got very set in our ways, not in a bad way, because I think the site worked, but it didn't allow us to be as nimble as we wanted to be. I, there were times when we did respond at night, when we posted you know, stories at night. We were on social a lot. Yeah. Granlin Live, it's funny that Granlin's reputation is that it was not very good on social media, but we were one of the first places to launch a standalone Twitter account that was just meant to cover live events. Right. Um, so we did do some of those things, but it wasn't really the concept of the site. You know, Bill was very good about saying, take your time, take the extra three hours, six hours, nine hours. That's an amazing thing to have as an editor and as a yeah. writer. So, it was always appreciated that we had that. I think the thing that we're, we realize now is you can have both. You know, we published a piece by Jonathan Sharks this morning about the NBA Finals that we did not run last night that he took 12 hours with, and it worked out. You know, people read that this morning, too. So I think we can have both. It was a frustrating thing as a reader because I, I would like a certain person's voice, and I wanted to hear what they had to say about the thing yeah. that happened yesterday. And I had to wait a week, or it, yeah. just, it, it just came out, and, it did, and I went somewhere else. The example I've used a million times is um, the, when the Manti Teo story broke, when Desmond broke that story, trying to find a way to adequately respond to that story, which is difficult in the first place because it was a scoop, yeah. and it was deeply interesting, but we had no ownership o over it in any meaningful way. And I remember when it happened, it was in the early afternoon on the West Coast, and we did not have a staff writer who was suited to respond to that story. And then we just waited 24 hours and we eventually had Malcolm Gladwell and Chuck Klosterman have a back and forth right. about the nature of that thing. I mean, one thing that saved not doing fast switch stuff, right? It saved you from doing lots of dumb hot takes. Yes. On the other hand, people like hot takes. Yeah. We'll have to be really, really, really smart about that in the future. I mean, hot takes has become a watchword in a really strange way to me. And it's, it's simultaneously parody and, it, you know, a pure anger and, you know, Andrew Sharp at Grayland wrote Hot Sports Takes, which was a satire column right. that was tremendous. And he was really ahead of the curve on all this stuff. But sometimes the takes are going to be too hot and sometimes they're not. We have a lot of really smart editors. And we part of the hiring was not just 43 writers, but a lot of editors who are very sensitive and know not to put writers in a position to fail. Once in a while, we will fail. You know, it's just the nature of publishing 10, 12, 15, 20 pieces a day. We're, we're two days into this. What's, do you have a signature piece? at launch is there like this is the ringer i think the four pieces that we launched with are were meant to be emblematic i don't want to point to any one single one we led the top of the site with danny chow's feature about the ball brothers from chino hills california and basically how they're taking a page out of steph curry's book there are a lot of reasons to do that it was a reported story it was fascinating it was about the inner workings of the future of basketball which is meaningful to us it was written by a person that we've been working with for many years who came up as an intern who has turned into like a really gifted writer and editor. And it felt signature without being overwhelmingly chest beating. 
you know, there's something subtle about it. Brian Curtis also wrote a feature about Joe Buck that was a pretty big piece for us and meaningful because Brian is a super pro. He's probably the most gifted sentence to sentence guy that we have right now. Um, he's also been working as an editor at large at the site. So he's in the office every day working with other writers, encouraging people, reading copy and just being like, this is bullshit. This isn't. And the buck piece is great. And I wanted it to be an example of the kind of work that people should be aspiring to here. You know, Favreau wrote a column about the election. And I think that it was important for us to signal that we were going to do that kind of work. Um, and, you know, Molly McHugh wrote a big feature about Kimoji, Kim Kardashian's yeah. emoji business. And that was another sign that shows that there's a true intersection between the interests that we have here, that we can do reported work around in that space, that we're serious about silly stuff. Who do you think your reader is? Who are you writing for? I, I hate that question. I mean, Sorry. I mean, and it's, it's not your fault and it's not the first time I've been asked. I don't, because I don't, I'm not so arrogant to think that I know who's consuming the site. I think that young people loved Grantland and I hope young people love this, but. Old farts like me can dig it too. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I got an email just before we started talking from my mother-in-law who's 70 years old and she was like, I've been reading the site all week and I love it. And like. My mother-in-law is great and she's a sports consumer and she watches TV, but like, I'm not, we're not editing writing with her in mind. She just happens to like it, which is fortunate. Maybe that's just because she's my mother-in-law, but who knows? Do you guys get the access you need? I assume that ESPN opened some doors for you. Yeah, I think it'll be tricky in some cases and not in others. You know, um, the NBA is an amazing, was an amazing partner at Grantland and I think will be really cool to us here as well. There's a feature on Julio Jones, the Falcons wide receiver on the site today. You know, Robert Mays talked to former teammates, former coaches, and Julio. You know, Julio is one of the 10 biggest players in the league. So, so far we've had some success. I think we'll run into some hurdles. It's hard to say, hi, I'm a reporter from The Ringer, because your immediate response from publicists, especially in Hollywood, is, what's that? I don't know yep. what that is. And that can be a challenge. I've gone through that. And yeah. you just referenced the last thing you were at. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you had a director on the show last week. I, You know, you have 50 episodes to show them. Look at what I do. Yeah. So it gets, it gets better. Yeah. As say. And then you didn't want to talk about traffic at Grantland, but you will have to talk about it here. I mean, at some point sure. you need to show an audit. You need to show advertisers that are reaching an audience. Yeah. How long do you think it'll take for you to ramp up to sort of where you need to be? I don't know. Cause I'm not sure where we need to be. You know, the, the company is so, has so many tentacles that I think the traditional concept of like, well, we we really need to hit 5 million uniques, 10 million uniques will be somewhat uh, antiquated for us. I think that we do need to build a real reading audience and that's meaningful to us and people are going to ask for it. But if you talk to advertisers now, they want to know what we're doing with video. You know, they yep. want to know what we're doing on Facebook live. They want to know what our Twitter presence is really like. Um, they want to know how we can be everywhere. I think that we've been fortunate with that after the throne show that we're making in that it required that we build a studio on this site and that we buy some equipment and that we create an atmosphere where once that show wraps, we can kind of figure out what we want the future of our video business to be. I think it'll be meaningful, you know, and that, and that's a little different from saying, well, you didn't hit your marks this week on traffic. And so we can't really go out to advertiser X, which would, would have been a great look for us. It, the business is rapidly changing. So you're a writer, like you said, sort how, of not how, anymore, but, not any, but, but you, you have the genes of a writer. Sure. How are you thinking about thinking about video? I mean, obviously you've got people at HBO who are very good at it, but they're not making your digital video daily. Right. It's, it's befuddled many people. Mm -hmm. Everyone is crapping out yep. Facebook live stuff. It doesn't seem like that's sustainable. Yep. I think we've been thus far smart about integrating 
writing talent into podcast talent and making those things work together, which has been great. I think in part, we're lucky just that there's naturally charismatic people that have been able to get on the mic, but also that we've kind of identified how people would do well in certain situations. I hope in some ways that will be true video wise, although not necessarily. And the truth is, is if we want that part of the the company and the site to do well, um, we're gonna have to hire more people. You know, we're gonna have to get more resources and find a way to make the product professional. But do you imagine that you are going to rely on sort of your gut and instincts to figure out how video will work? Or do you say, look, I'm going to eventually bring in someone who's going to create a video strategy for me? It's unclear. I mean, we've had internal conversations about that. I think um, it's good to have experts is what I would say. And my background is not in video, you know, and I know enough to know that it's not in video, even though I know what I think is good video or what is entertaining or what would fit with our site. I think taste has been a huge part of the value proposition here, just saying, We've been able to identify young talent who know how to write well. Maybe you haven't heard of them, but trust us. And we'll have the same feel when it comes to video, but we're going to need people who really know how to execute on that side too. Yeah, it's super tough to yeah. figure out how you translate that voice to video or and or how you make video that people want to watch because they're often different things. Completely. And or how you make video for Facebook, which is a different thing than video people want to watch necessarily. Yeah, I, and it's one of those things too where, and this I suppose is true of writing as well, but there is a lot of great stuff that gets no audience and there's a lot of bad stuff that gets huge audience. And I would love to split the atom. You know, it would be really nice to be able to get in, in that middle space. What's the one thing you think you'll be able to do this year that you couldn't have done at Grantland? Certainly right about the election. Yeah. Uh, that was that was not on the table for us at Grantland. I mean, beyond that, I, having control of, the, of something like a podcast business is, is a pretty big deal. That was just not, literally not feasible at ESPN because of the way that it was designed. And I don't know that we necessarily were furious about that, but I know Bill had a lot of thoughts about it. Um, for years, he was complaining that ESPN wasn't taking the, the podcast business seriously and where they weren't selling sponsorships. And Yeah, I mean, that has definitely been, has not been a core part of my responsibilities here. Um, and it was not a core part of my responsibilities at the last job. But I think he's been proven right so far about that. There's a future in podcasting, apparently. Uh, you tell me. I will find you, out. You got one, I don't. So you've got to go edit a site. I will let you go. Thank you for your time, Sean Fantasy. Thank you guys for listening. If you want to get more of this stuff, it's all free at iTunes. You can get it at Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks to our sponsors, SoFi, Mac Weldon, Digital Media. These are the guys who produce all this cool stuff. See you next week.